0: The FDF podcast is sponsored by Clark Energy, sustainably powering the food and drink sectors. FDF podcast, passionate
1: about food and drink. Welcome to the FDF podcast passionate about food and drink. My name is Amy Glass. I'm the UK diet and health policy manager at the Food and Drink Federation. And today I'm joined by Sue Eustace, the director of public affairs at the Advertising Association, and Louise Allen, the senior executive of diet and health at the Food and Drink Federation as well as Rob Newman, the Director of Public Policy at the Incorporated Society of British Advertisers. And today we're going to be talking about the new advertising restrictions for food and drink, high in fat, sugars and salt. Um, So first of all, I'd just like to ask Louise if you could briefly explain what the new rules are and how they interact with current advertising restrictions for these types of products.
0: Of course Amy, the advertising of food drink high in fat salt and sugar or HFSS products uh, for ease of reference is already strictly regulated in and out in and around children's media in the UK and it has been for many years now. The rules apply to a variety of media including outdoor advertising, print media and cinema as well as TV and internet advertising. And they also cover the creative content of ads, so restrictions on the use of licensed characters and celebrities popular with children. However, the government has decided to extend this and introduce additional measures banning all HFSS adverts on TV before 9pm and all paid for HFSS adverts online. Specifically the TV restrictions will be in place from 5.30am uh, to 9pm and will also include video on demand within this time period. For the internet rules, restrictions would apply to all paid-for media, including online display ads, social media ads, paid-for search listings, influencer marketing, ad for games, advertorials, ads that include paid-for, product-specific sponsorship, and many more. In terms of what the product ads will be banned, the UK Nutrient Profiling Model will be applied to the products in scope to decide whether a product is HFSS. The model is uh, basically a scoring system which takes into account the nutrient content of a product per 100 grams. So the categories in scope are effectively the products that are in scope of either the Public Health England sugars or calorie reformulation programmes. For example, this would include confectionery, breakfast cereals, pizza, ready meals, crisps and savoury snacks, plus a number of other categories. They would also include drinks that are in scope of the soft drinks industry levy. And there are also some out of home categories which are also included, such as children's meal bundles and sandwiches.
1: Brilliant, thanks, Louise. That's really helpful to understand uh, the rules a bit more. Um Sue, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Do they ac- apply across all media?
2: No, they don't. The concern has been about children watching uh, television programs uh, and ads in around television programs and also uh, advertising online um as more and more children are uh, switching to uh, on online content. So the restrictions the government's been considering, apply to TV and on-demand programme services, um, as just outlined, and to paid-for advertising online, but they don't apply to audio-only online media, podcasts, uh, radio, etc. There's also an exemption for SMEs, that's uh, companies um, with under 250 employees, and also um, for brand advertising. So you can advertise in all media and uh, including television and online, as long as you're not showing the HFSS product and you're, um, you're showing your brand. There will be interpretation of that, there will be guidance and, um, as to how that should be interpreted. And I know that there's many questions that companies are already having over what the rules might mean for them.
1: Thanks Sue, that's, that's really helpful. And um, So Rob, how will the rules work in practice? Who will be liable and how will the enforcement be undertaken?
3: Uh, well there's a lot that remains unclear about these new rules, but one thing which does seem relatively clear uh, is how they will operate in practice when it comes to liability. So when it comes to the broadcast watershed, and that's including on-demand program services under uk jurisdiction then it's broadcasters who will be liable for any breaches uh, while it'll be advertisers who will be liable for breaches of the paid for online hfss restriction and similarly when it comes to non-uk odps it's the advertiser who will be liable for any breaches of the rules for those platforms and this is an approach which aligns with the current enforcement frameworks across tv online and on demand and here at least we're looking at coherence because the liable parties for breaches of the new rules will be the same as for other breaches of the advertising codes. Uh, So that's pretty clear. And when it comes to enforcement, again, things are pretty clear. Ofcom is the statutory backstop regulator, and it's expected that Ofcom will then appoint the Advertising Standards Authority as the day-to-day regulator to enforce the rules. And that's, of course, an underlining of the co-regulatory system that's worked up until now for broadcast. As to what the ASA will do, again, that will be familiar to many In the first instance, there will be reputational sanctions, so we could expect to see naming and shaming of any businesses who the regulator judges have broken the rules. And we can see case judgments and requests for ads to be taken down and not shown again. If there are serious and or repeated breaches, or when the ASA's approach hasn't sufficiently tackled a problem, then that's when we can expect to see matters referred back up to Ofcom. And if that happens, that's where you could see civil sanctions like fines where a breach is reckless and repeated.
1: Brilliant. Thanks, Rob. That's that's really helpful. I guess these these rules apply to um, adults as well as children. But in the case of children, what do you know about the current evidence on how much advertising children sees?
2: well the the government has published an impact assessment which um, sets out how much advertising uh children see um and has its most recent analysis says that there's something like three and a half billion child impacts on television that's the number of uh, um children's eyes on an ad and about 15 billion impressions online and that this has a direct effect on on uh, children's food choices we will be analyzing some of these um, the, the their analysis in more detail but um their previous analyses uh, when we had that um looked at it uh, was um, vastly overestimating the number of uh, child impressions online. So there may be questions there. But I think more importantly, if we look at the fact that children's exposure to TV advertising, uh, HFSS advertising, uh, has been restricted since 2008. And since that time, um, children's exposure has fallen by over 70%. This shows you that there's been significant change already. And it's really interesting that obesity levels um, have continued relentlessly and steadily to go up despite uh, children's exposure falling. And they talk about um, uh, there being a shift of uh, children's viewing online. uh, And this is, of course, true, but in their previous assessments, they haven't factored in the, the fact that new rules have been applying online um, to bring them in line with television since uh, 2017. So there's, um, they, they haven't factored in those restrictions uh, yet. So we think that there's a, a lot of questions over the analysis. And obviously, uh, the industry is as concerned as government about um, the issue of obesity and and rightly I think thinks that this is an area that you know should be tackled but it just we just feel that the focus that there's been on advertising uh, given that the government's assessment is that the reduction in calories per day for children overweight children is around under four calories across uh, tv and um, online as a result of these restrictions that's a pathetic impact reduction um, in children's um, calories um, given that I think the uh, government's analysis is that um, overweight children need to need to lose more than 500 calories a day so this is a drop in the ocean compared to what needs to be done. Um, and yet, it, of course, it will have um, disproportionate effects across media. So we think it's the wrong approach um, that there are better ways to protect children um, in terms of advertising. And it's, it's a shame the government's gone down this route.
1: Thanks. Louise. Did you want to come in on that? I just wanted to add to Sue's point, really. You're right in saying, obviously, the exposure data for um,
0: children's exposure to online advertising, the data was collected before the rules came into force for HFSS children's media. So they are very, very much inflated as to what they are now. However, when you look at the impact assessment and you look at the the amount of impressions that children are having, it does sound an awful lot, 15.1 billion online. Um, however, when you do reduce that down and look per child per day, it only works out around four HFSS impressions per child per day across TV and internet. And not all of these impressions are for things that would appeal to children. So there may be things like butter or... Or olive oil which obviously children are not really that interested in.
1: Thanks Louise. Um, I guess it's yeah it's really interesting to hear um, how this potentially doesn't impact on obesity um, but also I know FDF has obviously spoken out quite publicly about our concerns around the impact of reformulation as well so Louise can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes of course so Our members have
0: been working in partnership with government for many years on reformulation programmes, but the new rules will make it difficult to advertise many of these reformulated or smaller portion products. So, for example, despite the significant investment made by Cadbury in producing its 30% reduced sugar dairy milk chocolate bar, this would still be in scope of restrictions, so it would make it difficult for Cadbury to, to share this information. Similarly, The rules will limit the scope for advertising products that are widely recognised to contribute to a healthy diet. For example, Jordans would not be able to advertise their fruit and nut granola bar as it contains fruit and nuts which contain naturally occurring sugars and fats, making it fail the nutrient profiling model and thus would be in scope of advertising restrictions. With respect to obesity, of course, as Seuss touched on, the government's own impact assessment estimates that the policy would remove only less than four calories, but on average around two calories a day from a child's diet. To illustrate that, we would say that's about half a smarty. When you consider that overweight and obese children consume between 140 and 500 excess calories a day, it's highly unlikely that this two calorie
1: deficit will make any difference to obesity. Thanks, Louise. So, Rob, what's the ISBA position? Could the government have gone for a more targeted approach to reduce the viewing of ads by children?
3: Uh, Yes, they could. I mean, in in the round, our position is this policy won't do what government wants. We don't believe it will impact positively on child obesity. We don't believe it's supported by robust evidence. And we think it'll undermine moves by our members to do things like reformulate and move to healthier products um but in saying that i do think it's important to be clear you know we do accept there's a problem here we do as a nation have a problem with obesity and if we didn't know it before then you know covid has certainly brought it into sharper focus so as an organization we've always respected government's right to act in this space and it's right to consider advertising as part of a solution but crucially, we want that solution to be holistic and evidence-based, you know, one where advertising helps support healthier lifestyles, you know, where government invests in the kind of schemes which get people moving and burning calories, you know, of the kind which our industry has partnered with government to push in the past. But of course, and um, things like that do require investment. Um, what government's done instead with this policy is focus on what they perceive to be a blanket solution. But from our perspective, it's disproportionate to the challenge not least because it impacts on businesses right to advertise to legitimate adult consumers. Uh, Now as an industry we sought to address some of that during the consultation process. We asked CAP to come up with a solution which would look end-to-end at HFSS ad campaigns and deliver what ministers want give them their ban on HFSS ads to children but avoid some of the complexity and the consequences of the proposed watershed and at the time a proposed total online ban Uh, And that alternative was that paid for HFSS ads online would be prohibited unless marketers could demonstrate to the ASA that they'd put in place robust measures to prevent under 16s being exposed and that children comprised less than 5% of the total audience of one to many communications. So in effect, assurance upfront that ad campaigns complied with the rules with post campaign evaluation and learning coupled with an enforcement push by the ASA. And industry was and remains convinced that this would have been better at reducing kids exposure, better at avoiding those unintended consequences and crucially kept pace with the evolving nature of addressable advertising. Why did government reject that? They say they're not convinced that children, for instance, can't use somebody else's profile online or they might be using a shared device. But more widely in the consultation response, they said targeting is just not sufficient to meet the objective of the policy. And we're extremely concerned about that at ISBA because it seems that government is setting its face against the use of targeting and digital solutions to public policy issues of this kind. And that has much wider implications beyond just this debate around HFSS.
1: Thanks, Rob. Um, So what are the next steps before the new rules come into place?
0: So the rules are set out in the Health and Care Bill, which received its second reading on the 14th of July. We know the committee stage will take place in the autumn, so we're unlikely to see primary legislation and guidance for businesses until the end of 2021. This means there'll be around a 12-month implementation period ahead of the rules coming into force on the 1st of January 2023. The categories of food and drink in scope and the enforcement measures will be taken forward in secondary legislation and we are expecting a consultation on the wording of the draft
2: regulations as well.
1: Thanks, So It sounds like there's still quite a lot of um, information we're waiting for. Sue, can you outline what guidance you think businesses will need before the implementation of the new rules?
2: Well, I think there's um, a number of areas where guidance will be necessary to um, help companies work out what they can do in, uh, in practical terms in their marketing. Uh, for example, around uh, the brand advertising, there is already guidance in place set some years ago by the in the advertising rules by the Committee of Advertising Practice. And companies are Used to operating within that guidance at the moment, the ASA is is used to enforcing it. Of course, that all might change, and we don't really know um, enough yet about how it would change. For example, will those uh, will the ASA, which will be the the body implementing. Uh, enforcing the rules, will it keep its guidance, but it will be overlaid by whatever ends up in the legislation. So that there'll be kind of two, two tiers. Um, will there be a different approach for SMEs who, um, which can, uh, which obviously under the current proposal have more freedom to advertise anyway across uh, brands and product advertising. So there's a lack of clarity. Uh, I think the government is well aware of that and is committed to working with uh, the regulators over coming months as a priority to um, kind of develop um, more guidance on that and other areas.
1: Um, Louise, do you have any extra points on that?
2: Yeah, there are still a lot of
1: unknowns and
2: how the rules will
0: work in practice. Um, For us, we really need better definitions of what is a transactional content and what is an identifiable HFSS product, because these are covered in the health and care bill, but um, it's not clear what they actually mean. We also want what sort of products fall within each category and how, how they work. We also need clearer guidance on how to calculate the nutrient profiling score of products, because that's still something that companies do struggle with. Now, we are um, trying to develop guidance and input to the government on this to help them update their guide. We're also really unclear about how the new rules are willing to play with the new rules on HFSS promotional restrictions online, and we need further information
3: on that as well.
1: Um, so, is there any other guidance you think uh, businesses will need to implement the new rules?
3: Uh, well, we've been liaising with our members to get their queries and hear their concerns and it's clear there's an enormous amount of worry out there and a great deal of confusion you know there's a lot we're going to need from the regulator and from government and that does include some proper worked through definitions of exactly what some of the key terms in the legislation mean you know how do you work out for instance what counts as an identifiable product being shown does that mean just showing the product does it mean you can't use its logo instead it probably does does it mean you can't mention it verbally, for instance? So we need further clarity on that. We need clarity on what's in and out of scope, particularly where you as a company might have a range of products in a particular portfolio, not all of which are HFSS. Um, I'd agree we also need to see the guardrails on what transactional content covers, where sponsorship comes in, you know, in a more granular way. Some of our members have raised with us what happens with recipes and serving suggestions, how are influencer marketing programmes affected? So there's a lot here that needs to be made clear and members need these answers you know, ASAP because they're making decisions now and creating content now for their campaigns for 2022 and 23.
1: Sounds like there's a lot of uncertainty still to tie up before the new rules come into play. Brilliant. Well, it's been really great to chat to everybody about everything that's going on in the advertising space. Um, To wrap us up, would you like to each sum up some key messages for our listeners? Um, I'll hand over to Sue first.
2: Well, as I said at the beginning, the advertising industry recognises that there's a serious um, issue with obesity in this country, uh, that the picture is very varied across the UK. We fully support more measures being taken um, to uh, target uh, the incidence of obesity in a in a very uh, localized and pragmatic way. We don't think that uh, these measures will be that successful. Um, and the reason for saying that is that um they they haven't been, although there's been restrictions in place since two thousand and eight and they haven't really impacted on obesity, they have delivered. A significant drop in exposure by children to advertising so there's been you know, success in that regard um, but you know not in terms of the overall societal objective which is to reduce obesity so I think we'd like to you know, see a very a more complex um, obesity strategy that uh, is is pragmatic is focused on um, on, on, on mainly on the areas um, where there is concern rather than these broad brush measures. But, you know, we are where we are. The government's going to introduce these restrictions as part of a, of a broader holistic response. And we will work with them and regulators to make sure that they are as proportionate as possible and are understood by industry so that industry has clarity in the way that the rules will be implemented going forwards.
1: Thanks Sue. Um, Louise, what are your key messages for the audience? Well, we think the rules
0: do go much further than the government's stated policy aim of reducing children's exposure to HFSS ads because they infringe on adult consumers. Um, We also don't think they will work because of the um, calorie deficit per child, which is very which is minimal. And Essentially, we are disappointed that the rules don't recognise the efforts that our members have made in reformulating their products and providing smaller portion packs. I'd also just like to add it's important that we get guidance at the earliest opportunity, both on the new rules and specifically on the nutrient profiling model to help businesses implement the rules. These should be developed in conjunction with. food industry and also with the committee on advertising practice who have the knowledge and experience in this area.
1: Um, So Rob what are your final remarks that you'd like to share with our listeners?
3: I think I'd say uh, we could have been in a worse position but bad policy remains bad policy and this is bad policy. It's an unwelcome regulatory intrusion that cuts across the self-regulatory system and it won't do what government hopes it will do. You know, what we'll be doing over the next few months as this legislation goes through is to try and pin down some of the issues our members are most concerned about you know, from the scope of the brand exemption to what's happening with the NPM and much more to try and get as much clarity as we can and crucially we want a timeline for some of this guidance that we need You know, as ever especially after this long drawn out and often very frustrating policymaking process, what our members need is clarity and certainty, and we'll be doing our best in our dealings with government to help them get that.
1: Thanks very much. And thanks to everybody for listening to our podcast today. And a huge thanks to Sue, Rob and Louise for their time.